What's up, guys? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Missing Persons. <laughs> Did you forget? No, I... She paused for I like dramatic to, effect. <laughs> I like to change it up, you know? <laughs> everybody and welcome to the new listeners so this week sarah's telling our story right yes all right sweet i should think about it (laughs) no i'm telling the story (laughs) oh sorry i'm just gonna start this out by saying that i've been working on this story for a couple weeks and then something crazy happened wait a minute is this gonna be a two-parter no oh okay good sweet you get to hear the whole story something crazy happened like Like, in your life or you personally or something crazy happened in the story something crazy happened in the universe with this story very strange okay i was working on it before this happened Okay. okay But I'm not going to tell you until the end. Mm, making us wait. Okay. <laughs> Rude. All right. All right. All right. So we're going to be going to Washington for a little bit and then Utah. And we're going to talk about a woman named Susan Powell. And if you know anything about the true crime world, you've probably heard this case. And I know Shauna and Bobby are sitting here going, I don't know if I've heard this case before, but you yeah. probably have. I don't know. The, the name sounds so familiar. You've probably heard the story because it's fucking bananas. Oh. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Thank you. The shit is bananas. It fucking is bananas. So I'm going to start by giving you a backstory on the people involved before we actually get into the crime. And I heard this case like a long time ago and it's stuck in my head forever. Like this is one of those cases that I don't think I could ever forget. Are you about to traumatize me or something? I don't know if you're going to be traumatized. (laughs) Possibly. I would, like, pre-warn you if it was, like, sexual in nature. It's not. No, no. Like, I I was just meaning since you said it stuck with you, like, in a traumatic way or It stuck with me in a how crazy this case is kind of way. Gotcha. Okay. Like, you'll understand. Okay. First, let's get to know Susan. She was born October 16th, 1981 in New Mexico. Her father was an air traffic controller in the military, so the family traveled a lot. Susan was one of four girls born to Chuck and Judy Cox. They are a Mormon family, 
that was involved <laughs> with that was like very involved with the Mormon church. So they followed it all of that pretty closely. Oh boy. People described Susan as bubbly and happy and that she always wanted to make the world beautiful. Like that was when people would ask her what she wanted to grow up and do, she would say, make the world beautiful. She had bright blue eyes, wavy brown hair, and dimples. When she was a teenager, her family settled down in Poo... I can say this word. Hold on. <laughs> Puyallup, Washington. Puyallup, Washington. Puyallup? Yeah, Washington. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's a... Puyallup. It's a wallop of poo. It's a Puyallup. When Susan was done with high school, she... Uh, attended Jean Juarez Academy of Beauty in Seattle. So she wanted to be a hairdresser. And she had this dream of opening a salon in her home someday. She wanted it to be in her home so she could still be a homemaker, take care of her kids, whatever. To meet people their own age, the sisters would go to the LDS Steak Center. This was like a place where young single Mormons could mingle with their peers and meet, like, their prospective spouses. Gotcha. I fully thought it was, like, a Mormon-specific Texas Roadhouse. No. It was kind of like a... Because I don't know if they... I don't know, like, the ins and outs of the Mormon religion, but they have, like, these group things where you come and mingle, so you're meeting people that are inside your church. I know. Okay. I know next to nothing about I only know there's a small amount. There's varying traditions of the Mormon church. Yeah. It's like I know polygamy is wrapped up into it, but not with Well, I think that's like fundamentalist. Yeah. I think because I've been to a couple Mormon weddings actually. Yeah. Um and sometimes it is like just like that, where they're me- intermingling with other Mormons for prospects, you know, right. suitors. Other times it is, um, like, arranged right. marriages with other families. Right. And those are, like, the main two, I believe. I've only ever met a more, like, one Mormon family where they actually married outside of the Mormon religion. Which was yeah, very interesting. I know, I know that's kind of a rare thing because usually, if you meet someone outside of the Mormon religion, they have to convert. Kind of yes, like yes, they do. Or yeah. more folks of the Jewish faith. Right, you yeah. have to convert to their religion. So this place is where Susan would end up meeting her future husband, Josh Powell. She was 19 years old, and he was 26. At first, Josh didn't seem like a very bad choice for Susan. It appeared that he followed the Mormon beliefs just as strictly as she did. And Susan liked that he was older. She thought he was more mature than guys her age. Josh had his own apartment, a car, and a job. What Susan did not know was that living on his own was pretty new for Josh. So let's get to know Josh, shall we? He was born on January 20th, 1975 in 
Puyallup, Washington. There you go. I got it. Nice. <laughs> His parents were Stephen and Terry Powell. He was the second born of five children, and they, like I said, were also Mormon, but Stephen was very critical of the Mormon faith. He was, he liked to push against it. It was Josh's mom who followed the Mormon faith. Gotcha. All right. They moved around Spokane County, Washington a lot until Stephen got a job selling prisoner-produced furniture. Before this, he had a really hard time keeping a job. So apparently this business would drop supplies at the prison. Prisoners would make this furniture and then it would be for like schools and churches and stuff. Okay. After 20 years, the marriage ended in 1992. So Stephen did not treat Terry very well. He had denounced the church and was encouraging their kids to do the same thing. Josh's older sister, Jennifer, described Steve as extremely controlling, verbally abusive, and said he was always putting Terry down. During their divorce, Terry became afraid of Steven's influence on the children, especially the older boys, Josh and John. Steven was getting them to disobey her and not just disobey her like they wouldn't allow her to do anything with their youngest brother michael like to the point she couldn't even put him down to bed the two older boys would go get him out of bed and tell like cuss her out and be like stop touching him you're nobody and they would threaten her and things jeez So realizing she couldn't handle them, but not wanting Stephen to get custody either, she asked that the court actually put the two older boys in foster care. So she was trying to get Josh and John put into foster care. Oh, wow. That's desperate. Their divorce took three years. During this time, Josh and John were staying with Stephen full-time, and Michael, who was 11 at the time, the older sister, Jennifer, who was 18, and the baby of the family, whose name is Alina, was seven. They were staying with Terry. But in the end of the divorce, she lost custody of all the kids that were still minors. Seriously? They went to Steven? Yep. How the hell did that happen? Because I think that happens a lot in the... Like that area of the United States where the dad has more control than the mom, especially back in the 90s, I would say. I think, you know, he had the job. She didn't. He kept, I think at the time he was keeping the house and she wasn't. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if it's because she filed divorce against him. I don't know. but. After this, Stephen physically and emotionally abused Josh. As an adult, he had really bad social skills. He talked about himself a lot, and he didn't really fit in. 
when Josh first met the Cox girls, he wanted to date Susan's older sister, not her. But she had, like, no interest in him and even warned Susan that she had a bad feeling about him. So she tried to get her younger sister to not date him. It's just crazy to me that, like, their father is so against the Mormon church, yet he still managed to meet Susan in a Mormon setting. Because I think at this point in his life, he was, like, not as against his mother because of how Stephen had been treating him. So he kind of was leaning back towards, maybe if I go back to the Mormon ways or whatever and kind of get back with my mom my life will get better even though until he met Susan he was still living with Stephen okay Susan's family did not really care for him either and questioned like they kept asking her why him like why do you want to marry him not only was he full of himself but he also lied a lot one claim he made was that he had a business administrative administration degree from the University of Washington. He even told people his profess- professors were awful and they didn't know what they were talking about and he was smarter than them. But it was proven later that he n- never got a degree there. He might have taken classes there, but he never graduated. Okay. To her family, it seemed she wanted to be married and have a family so badly that she was just blind to any of Josh's downfalls. People said, like, they described her as being in love with love. Like, she just Uh, wanted to be... You could see that, yeah. Yeah, she just wanted to be in love. Her father, Chuck, said Josh was not stable. After 10 minutes, anyone could see there was something wrong with him. He just talked all the time. Like, that's how everybody described him, is like he just wouldn't shut up. Josh proposed to Susan shortly after they met, and as much as her family was against it, her mom threw her a bridal shower. It was a girls-only shower, so Josh was not supposed to be there, but he did show up dressed in a skirt, wearing lots of makeup. He wanted to be the center of attention so badly that he dressed like a girl to attend her shower. And I bet you that makeup was terrible too. I mean just was. if you've ever seen um what was that what was that show? The Drew Carey show. Mimi Bobek. I bet you this dude had full Mimi Bobek makeup. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Is that her last name? Yeah. I like how that's the part that stuck out to her the most. She's questioning whether he's right. Nine times out of ten, she's going to look it up. (laughs) No, I'm not. It's just, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, the big blue eyeshadow. Yeah, I know. It's just, for some reason. It sounds right in my head, but I didn't watch that show as much as you did. I watched that entire show. Yeah, I know. So did I. Um, And that's why they're good together. Uh. I lost my train of thought. I was, like, gonna fucking comment on the guy. Like, (laughs) Josh. Yes. Is it a control thing or just a narcissistic type of thing? I don't think that 
I feel like it's a trauma kind of thing. And he just is looking for attention. Oh, he definitely wants attention, but don't feel bad for him yet. Like, I don't feel bad for him. Like, I'm just saying, I feel like a lot of his behaviors could potentially be, you know, like, like trauma related through his childhood, especially if his father was the asshole that, you know. Oh, we're going to hear more things about his father. So Judy wasn't having it, though. Like, she freaking threw him out. She was like, no, this is a girl's only thing. You, I don't care. You need to go. She asked Susan again, do do you really want to marry him? But all that did was make Susan, like, super mad. She was, like, couldn't believe her mom would ask her that. The couple got married April 6th, 2001 at the Portland LDS Temple. And don't, in LDS, don't you have to have, like, the blessing of the parents yeah. or something. Oh, is no, that like Latter Day Saints? No, I think you have to have is? the blessing ladder. ladder. <laughs> I think whatever. Just, I think you have to have the just the blessing of the bishop. You have to have the blessing of the Lauderdale Saints. Fort Lauderdale. Do they have saints? <laughs> ladder. Okay. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. You heard it here. I'm abused. <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about to fucking abuse you. <laughs> okay, and I'm about to continue telling you a story. <laughs> this was the first time both sets of parents met each other. Okay? At the wedding. And it didn't go very well. Well, I would I wouldn't imagine that. that it would. Especially because I'm sure this was the first time Terry and Steven were in the same room Since also the divorce. for a while. Well, nothing really happened between those two, technically. They just made Chuck and Judy mad. So Chuck and Judy paid for the wedding and reception, obviously, because it was their daughter and that's tradition. And they didn't complain about it at all. But Steven bitched about a couple hundred dollars that he had to pay for the rehearsal dinner, which is tradition that the yeah, yeah the groom's, the groom's parents family pays for the rehearsal. rehearsal. But he bitched about it. Then after the reception, Terry asked Judy if she could have all the decorations and extra food for a reception she was throwing for the couple in Spokane County. <laughs> so she was just going to secondhand everything for the reception? Well, yeah. I, I think that's kind of rude, too. Doesn't the bride and groom get to keep whatever? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's all rented, and then they don't get to keep any of it. No, right, it but wasn't. Like it leftover w- food and all that kind of right. stuff. Right. Yes. Judy and Susan's sisters had done all the decorating themselves, made all the food themselves without any help from Josh's family. And Terry wanted to take take all of it. Okay. Well, of course, Judy said, no, you cannot. And And I would have done the same thing. Super rude. After the wedding, Susan thought her family would change their minds about Josh and see see he was a good guy. But he didn't make that very easy. 
Josh was working as a furniture installer for the company his dad worked for. And he had been working there a couple years. He was able to choose his own hours and what installs he wanted to do. So he got to choose when he worked. That's nice. Two weeks after the wedding, though, Josh asked Chuck if he could borrow money. They've been married two weeks. Chuck told him... That's bold. ...to either do more installs or find a better job. Like, I'm not going to just sit here and hand you money, dude, because you married my daughter. Either work more or find a better job. Agree. Josh did not take his father-in-law's advice, though. Instead, he asked the company to pay his mileage for each job there and back. He told them it was illegal not to. What? Uh, I don't think that's accurate. It's not. I mean, unless he's in his personal vehicle, then he can request it. But, I mean, even at that point, I don't think it's illegal. It's not illegal. And because of this, his job fired him. (laughs) Two weeks later... He had the nerve to call them and ask if they missed him. What? Really? Yes. He called his job and at his, well, previous job and asked if they missed him. Yeah. You missed me yet? Who? Who does that? You ready to hire me back? Josh Powell. At an increased pay rate? Yeah. Also bold. (laughs) I don't know. I wish I would have done that. (laughs) (laughs) I actually did do something like that once. (laughs) Yeah, well, it didn't work out for Josh. They said, no, we don't miss you. Bye. See you later. This became a pattern for him. So he could easily find a job. But then he would get immediately fired. But his attitude with authority figures always got him fired. It seemed like he could not help himself but to tell his bosses what they were doing wrong. (laughs) Susan, on the (laughs) other hand... Had no trouble keeping steady work. She was a fast learner and everyone liked her. Because of Josh's inability to keep a job, they could no longer afford their apartment and they had to move in with Stephen Powell. Oh, hell no. Oh, I thought Uh, you were going to say they're going to move in with Chuck and Judy. I was like, that would make sense. No, they moved in with Stephen. Oh, boy. (laughs) John, Michael, and Alina also lived with Stephen still. So it was a very crowded house. Susan and Josh were... Quick question. Yes. The siblings, Josh's siblings, are Mm -hmm. these all adult siblings or are they like teens? At this point, they're all adults. So they're... Oh, okay. So, wow. That's what? One, two, three, four, six adults all living in the same house? Yes. So not one of them were under the age of 18? I don't think so. I mean, no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, Alina might have been 17 or 18, possibly. She might have been that young. Um, so Stephen put Susan and Josh in the dining room and just hung up sheets to block it off. Okay. I can say from personal experience, living that way really isn't that bad. Except when you're... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Throwback. Except when you're a newly <laughs> married couple. Throwback to my early 20s. I did that. <laughs> okay. Steven made Susan very nervous. 
he would say things that you should never say to your daughter-in-law. And he was always staring at her weird. The couple ended up getting jobs together at an assisted living facility. They would eventually become assistant managers if they finished the training. This job came with an apartment and three meals a day. So it would have been like the perfect jobs. I just can't see Josh working for an assisted living place. I just can't see Josh working. You both would be correct. Like all their jobs, Susan was praised and everyone loved her. And Josh was fired in two months. Not, Not surprised. Susan was scared because he just couldn't get along with anyone that had authority over him. It wasn't just work. It was pretty much everywhere they lived in Washington. Susan made friends like super easily and everybody liked her while people kind of just tolerated Josh because he was married to her. But if you asked them, they would be like, no, we don't like him. We just accept him because it's her husband. I've known couples like that. Yes. I've known people like that. Yeah. Me too. Susan became pregnant with their first child in 2004. Oh, they had kids together. Yes. Oh, boy. She was happy despite the couple's financial problems. When she was eight months pregnant, they decided to leave Washington and move to Salt Lake City, Utah. They said it was in the hopes of finding better job opportunities for Josh, but later people would find out a big part of it was Susan wanted to get as far away as possible from Stephen. Her parents worried that Susan was losing all of her support at a time when she would need it most because she's about to be a new mom. So Chuck and Judy decided to go visit her when she was due to have the baby in case she needed help like in the beginning. Thankfully, they did, because when she went into labor, Josh asked them to drive her to the hospital, claiming he had important things to do. The fuck? Yeah. He didn't show up until two hours later and was carrying his laptop. He told them... That he would just be in the corner backing up the laptop because that was important and he had to get that done. What? Uh, what? While Again. his wife is having birth, giving birth to their child. Yeah. Having birth. It- <laughs> <laughs> Again, the fuck? Yeah, and he... I was going to say having their baby and then changed midway through to giving birth. (laughs) Thank you. I'll see myself out. (laughs) Don't leave. So yeah, he pretty much sat there ignoring his wife while she was in labor until Chuck forced him. Like he went over and was like, dude, Go help your wife. She's about to start pushing. Well, Susan didn't see Chuck do this, so she thought that Josh like got up on his own when she was starting to push and 
so she was like oh isn't he so sweet he actually stopped what he was doing to help me seriously not have punched him in the face for even coming near me yeah, well, she's a nice girl. So mm. many people <laughs> in in all of these stories, m- the murder stories, the missing story, there's so many people that they just deserve a good throat punching. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I know. Like, and you're you, wanna... you push out our child's, let me back up the laptop back here in the corner. Because <laughs> that's super duper important. Uh, yeah, I think by the end of this, you're not going to want to just punch him in the throat. You're going to want to punch him in the dick. Well, okay. on on January 19th, 2000, and is it, did I do that right? <laughs> 2004, Susan gave birth to their first son, Charles Braden Powell. They called him Charlie. Josh was surprisingly a very loving father. It was not long after his son's birth, though, that he told Susan they needed life insurance. And oh, hell no. Took out $5,000 a piece on him and her. And he claimed it was in case one of them passed away, the living parent would have a little bit of money for child care expenses and the burial expenses. Because, like, really $5,000 is probably just going to pay for the burial. Right. Right. That's what I was thinking. Like, what is $5,000 going to do for you? Oh, boy. Three years later, on January 2nd, Susan gave birth to their second son. So, 2007? Yeah. His name was Brayden Timothy Powell. Which I didn't know if it was a Mormon thing to do that. Well, I was going to say, so... So they used Charles's the middle, middle name as, as his first name. Yeah, I don't know. That's strange. Yeah, I, I thought so too. But Josh was, again, affectionate towards the boys, but was mean and demanding with Susan most of the time. Oh, just like his father. Yep. Susan was working at Wells Fargo during this time, and Josh had gotten his real estate license. Really? Oh, but he used (laughs) the money that Susan had been trying to save to open her salon to get his real estate license. Okay. Yeah. Dick move. Once he had sold a couple houses, he convinced Susan to get her license, too. She did, but she kept working at the bank so that they would have a steady income because she's smart. Without discussing it with Susan, he put an ad in the yellow pages. This ad cost him $10,000. What? Where the fuck did he get $10,000? Oh, we're going to talk about it. She was super pissed. And she should be. She should be pissed. But he told her that by the time he had to actually pay for this ad, he would have the money because he would have sold more houses. So he didn't have the money. He ran it on credit. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It didn't work out for him, though, because when the ad came out, it had the wrong phone number, and he absolutely hated the picture. Again, he went to Chuck for advice, who told him if he had proof of what he sent to them, of what was supposed to be in the yellow pages, then to fight them. Like, 
Right. Fight them. Right. right. If they printed it wrong, yeah, sure. Right. But when the company came after him to collect their money, he buckled and didn't fight them. Instead, he filed for bankruptcy, which brought all their debt to light to Susan's family. They were behind on the mortgage because Josh had not kept steady work. He had also run up all of the couple's credit cards to their limit. They were all maxed out. He did that, not her. Susan had no choice but to ask her parents for the money so that during the bankruptcy, they wouldn't lose the house. So her parents paid up the mortgage so they wouldn't lose the house and didn't have to file for bankruptcy on it, too. And she paid her parents back in payments whenever she could. Because we're going to learn a whole lot more here. At the same time, the economy had changed. And the housing market was in the dumps. Yeah, the 2008 crash. Yeah, it was was a big deal. In crisis at that point. So Josh never sold another house. He only sold the two, ever. Even He's an idiot. Yeah. Even though Susan was the one that brought home all of the money, Josh controlled it. The fuck? No. Mm Mm-mm. He gave her an allowance and made her explain what she spent her money on down to every single cent. Oh, what a swell guy. He was so controlling that to keep her from taking money out of the bank account, he changed the PIN number on her card often. Like, they made it sound like weekly he changed the PIN. So she couldn't figure out what it was. Oh, my God. Josh even controlled the groceries, forcing Susan to look through ads to find the cheapest groceries. Then he made the grocery list for her. And when she got home, he went through the receipt. And if she went even a penny over, he was screaming at her. This is a problem. This is a problem. Yeah. So to try to feed her kids better... She planted her own garden and tried to, like, save money that way on fresh fruits and vegetables, hoping that he would give her more money for, like, meat for the boys because she thought they weren't getting enough food. But uh, what I read said most of the time the only meat he would let her buy was hot dogs. Oh, my God. Susan sounds like a beautiful woman. and So the, the garbage meat. Yeah. And Josh that was, sounds you know, like, a piece like of shit. less than a dollar, because hot dogs are like now they're more than that. But back then yeah, they you were can probably still get a pack of hot dogs for like eighty nine cents. Yeah. Yeah. I just I I have this image in my head that I wish wish was true of her just setting this guy in his fucking place. Fuck that guy. Well, Susan also tried to save money and to make her kids not have to suffer. She pretty. M- much tried to make as much things from scratch as she could and she would literally beat herself up and feel bad if she was too tired to make them a decent meal from scratch when she got home from work poor susan oh my so she was like suffering from depression because of this because she felt like she was being a horrible mother even though really she was just overworked and he was forcing her to try to do things 
Yeah, she just had a piece of shit husband. Yeah, because, like, when I say, like, she was even, like, making her own bread, making her own, like, does if they got dessert, she had to make it from scratch. If she, it gets, it, okay. It wasn't just the food, though. He didn't let her splurge on anything. Josh screamed at her for spending $6 on a pair of shoes for Charlie. She was not allowed to buy socks for herself or the boys. He made her sew them and would bitch if she spent too much money on yarn. Yeah, that Yarn is, is fucking expensive, though. Like yeah, yarn is not with, cheap. But with yarn, he, she could make more pairs of socks than buying socks, according to him. And I'm sure he made her buy the cheapest, crappiest yarn. The kids were in daycare, so um, they were there so much without socks on that the daycare provider bought them socks. And Susan was, like, grateful for that, but also, like, super embarrassed. Well, that yeah. Yeah. And I'm shocked that they even sent them to daycare because daycare well, is it was like outrageous. The way it was described, it was, like, one of those, like, in-home kind of daycare things it wasn't like a big and i don't think it cost them very much money and i don't know if they went every day or if it was just like a couple times a week don't really know why they needed to go if josh was sitting there on i was gonna say because he wasn't working yeah but they did go to daycare. they were probably better off anyway right well it gets worse susan was not allowed to use the family's minivan without permission so she usually rode her bicycle wherever she needed to go. So that means work, grocery store, she rode her bike. Where they lived, so they lived in Salt Lake City, but they it was called West Valley City where they were actually living. The roads she had to take were dangerous and not meant for bicycles. It was a 40-minute bike ride to her job and then 50 minutes home because the last mile was completely uphill oh. to go home oh my god fuck punching this dude in the dick he deserves much worse yeah a pineapple enema <laughs> yes <laughs> most definitely i'm just sitting here being pissed yeah any women out there with that level of controlling men in their lives, you do not need that nor deserve that and run away immediately because it's fucking stupid. There, there are places that can help. Yeah, there are resources for people in your situation. Get out. Ugh. Also, never 100%. be embarrassed if someone helps you with your kids ever. Yeah, especially if it's not in your control exactly. to be able to give them what you want to give them. So she never told her family about any of this, but she did confide in her best friend through emails. A couple of her friends, she would email and tell them the bad things that were going on. Josh talked to Stephen for hours every single day, but would get pissed off if Susan talked to her sister Denise for longer than five minutes. His sister Jennifer felt horrible for Susan. 
like she knew what was going on and she felt horrible for her. Well, yeah, because they were all going through that with their father. Right. They lived through that. In 2008, the couple had a rough year. Josh was angry, irrational, and unpredictable. She begged him to go to counseling, but he refused. Her church even offered to pay the copay because her job, she had insurance, and she finally was like so fed up she went to her church bishop and told him what was going on and he was like well we will pay the copay if he goes to get help and he refused of course took the words right out of my mouth bobby yeah because i'm sure in his mind he's doing absolutely nothing wrong yeah i was about to say yeah he refused but he gave her a list of things that she needed to change so he would be less stressed. Mm. He stopped attending church altogether and started belittling her for going and would ask the kids if they wanted to stay with him and eat cake instead because he never let them eat cake. But when she was going to go to church, oh, they could have cake if you stay here and don't go to boring church with your mom. Oh, just like his father. Yeah. Just like his fucking father. Stephen, speaking of his father, was also a huge contention between Susan and Josh. She hated him and confided in her friend that he would hit on her, say horrible things, and touch her inappropriately, but say it was an accident. I'm fucking pissed. But worse was that he had tried to kiss her once, and she caught him watching her undress. Wait a minute, Steven? Yes. When they were living there with him, and she told all of her friends that he was the devil. And that was all accidental. Right. Because um, you just accidentally kiss someone. Right. Or watch them change their clothes. Oh my gosh, I have no control over my eyes or my mouth. <laughs> my bad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Susan was torn about divorce because in the LDS church, once you're bonded, it's for life and eternity. She did not think the church would condone a divorce, even though her bishop knew how Josh was treating her. The church was helping her with groceries and they helped her with counseling. But to her, a divorce was like far-fetched. Stephen was filling Josh's head with all the negatives of church. It wasn't just her religion that kept her from leaving Josh. It was fear of him as well. He told her she would pay if she ever tried to leave him and, t- and take the boys. Susan told her friends that she had written a will 
and left it in her desk at work just in case something bad happened to her. That is awful. Yeah. That is so sad that you have to secretly come up with a will because you're that afraid of your fucking husband. Yeah. And I think, like, because Terry lost her kids to Stephen in a divorce, I think that might have been another reason why Susan was, like, scared to file for divorce is she was scared Josh would get their kids. Yeah. Also, by July of 2008, Josh had stopped showing interest in Susan sexually and would get pissed if she tried to look nice, even to go to work. Okay, the her trying to look nice part I get, but I'm a little confused why he would stop because that would be a power play for him. I would figure he would be more apt to assault his wife than to completely do nothing. Except I think it was a power play for him because he still controlled it. Like she was trying to fix their marriage, get him to get help, was still trying to show him she was attracted to him and that she was attractive and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. No, I'm not going to go to counseling. It's it's like playing mind tricks. Yeah. He was trying to get in her head, like, self-consciously. Yeah. Like, and making her, f- her more and more self-conscious and, like weary of their marriage and like you know like her more desperate to try to fix things i I get what you're saying i just the way this guy's mind functions no i know i see where you're coming from like it could have went either way like he could have forced her yeah sexually assaulted her yeah he could have forced her to have sex but he decided to go with the route of making her feel disgusting Pretty much. And like, not even your own husband wants you. I feel like that would be easier for her to recover from than being assaulted. Yes. 100%. I mean, neither one of them's great. No. But, I mean, I think he went with the lesser of the evils. Well, things calmed down a little bit once the summer ended. And she tried to see the positive, which was like how much... He seemed to love the kids like she was trying to focus on, Okay, he's affectionate towards them. He acts like he loves them. But I don't know why she wasn't thinking of the fact that he's controlling their food, what they get, like all of that crap. And I'm just going to throw this in here. He literally bought for himself whatever he wanted. Well, I just assumed that like he bought himself Whatever he wanted, no matter how much it cost. Yeah, I had already Even assumed food. that with him controlling the the money coming in. So we're going to skip ahead to the fall of 2009. Josh finally got a job doing the books for a trucking company. Oh, boy. Susan was not optimistic about it, given his history. Like, she was just like, whatever. Don't believe you're going to keep the job. In December, she emailed her friends and told them she was going to leave Josh if things did not change by their anniversary in April. She wanted to give him every opportunity to fix their marriage because she didn't want to leave 
without giving it her best. Right. Exhaust every option you have. Right. No one knew at the time that she had taken that letter out of her desk and moved it to, I mean, her will. She took the will out of the desk and put it in a safe deposit box at her at the bank she worked at, at Wells Fargo. And she put a letter in there also. In the letter, she said that she might die from an accident. And she wanted people to know that no matter how much it looked like an accident, it wasn't an accident. She pretty much was asking for justice. Because at this point, she believes he's going to try to kill her or something bad. On December 6, 2009, a Sunday, it was extremely cold. Uh, It was like 10 degrees. And there was a foot of snow on the ground already, and it was sleeting outside. Susan's friend and neighbor, I think her name is Giovanna. It's like G-O-V-A-N-A. Giovanna. Sounds Sounds right. Yeah. So she came over. And Susan asked if she wanted to stay for a late brunch because it was after 2.30. Oddly, Josh didn't seem to mind and offered to make everyone pancakes, which even Giovanna thought was weird. But even weirder to her was the fact that he made sure to serve everyone their pancakes. He didn't let them just take them off of a plate themselves. He handed everybody their pancakes. Susan started to feel sick and very tired at around 5 p.m. And she vomited. She apologized to her friend and said she needed to go lay down. When Giovanna left, Josh told her he was taking the boys, who at this time were only four and two, sledding in 10 degree weather while it's sleeting. He's going to take a four- and a two-year-old sledding. A neighbor later said Josh pulled back into his garage between 8 and 8.30. So this from 5 to 8 or 8.30, he was somewhere. Another neighbor, sick with the flu, heard arguing at around 2 a.m. and saw a light-colored minivan come to a screeching stop in the middle of the street. She heard more arguing, and then it drove away. The next day, neither Susan or Josh showed up for work, and Wells Fargo never got a call from her saying she was sick. The daycare also didn't get a call saying Charlie and Brayden wouldn't be there. Since Josh worked mostly from home, his job wasn't expecting him, so there was like no red flag for him not to be at work. Their daycare provider was like worried and so clearly she kept calling them and couldn't get a hold of anyone so she called terry and jennifer josh's mom's and older sister okay because those were the only numbers she had oh of course his family so they were like emergency contacts right okay at least it's the good side of his family right so both of them tried to call susan's phone and josh's phone and got no answer either. Terry decided to call the West Valley Police Department and ask them 
to do a welfare check at 10 a.m. because they were worried. Because of the panic in Terry's voice, the police went against their 48-hour rule for missing adults and actually activated a missing persons report for the whole family. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. At 5.27 p.m., Josh finally answered the phone for Jennifer. He lied to her at first, saying he was at work. She called him out. And he changed his story, saying he had taken the boys camping. She told him he needed to hurry and get home because police were there and Susan was missing. His response was, how much do you know? She asked him what he meant by that, and he hung up on her. Ellis Maxwell, A detective with the West Valley City Police then called Josh using Jennifer's phone. He told Josh he needed to come home. Josh told the detective he would be there in uh, about an hour after I get the kids something to eat. They're hungry. When he finally showed up at the house, Maxwell met him at the van, talking to him through the passenger side window. There were no kids, were there? The kids were there. He asked why he had not answered the phone all day, and Josh told Detective Maxwell he was conserving the battery on his phone because he forgot a charger. But that was a complete fucking lie because his phone was sitting in plain sight plugged into the cigarette lighter charging. Maxwell told Josh to get the boys settled and come to the police station so they could talk about Susan. When he finally went... This was the story that he told police. He said he went camping with Charlie and Brayden at around midnight the night before in the Simpson Springs area. His reason was he wanted to try out his new generator and make sure it worked. So let's just take two uh, little boys in freezing cold weather camping to see if our generator works when you could just step outside and do that. Yeah, pretty much. Of course, Maxwell felt that was dangerous with two small children. Yeah, they're four and two. Yeah. He claimed that when he left, he thought that it was Saturday, not Sunday. When asked where he thought Susan was, Josh said, I have no idea. All I know is she should be at work today. He showed no concern for her whatsoever. Josh did give police permission to search the van and the house. The van had the generator, blankets, a gas can, tarps, and a shovel. All items you could use for camping, but also all items you could use for something else. In the middle console, they found Susan's phone, turned off, and missing the SIM card. Okay, that's sketchy. He claimed to have no idea why it was there. Even asking Maxwell why they didn't just ask Susan where he, where he was the night before. But because she's missing. That's why they're talking to you. Yeah. When he was told no one had seen her and she never went to work that day, he acted surprised. Like, what do you mean she didn't go to work and no one's seen her? And he couldn't understand why police cared so much about his camping trip. He didn't know where Susan was. 
but Maxwell just couldn't write like he could not wrap his mind around taking a four and a two year old camping during a blizzard. No one could. No sane person could make that connection okay. When they searched the house, they found no sign of Susan. But the couch was wet, like it was recently shampooed, with two box fans pointed towards it. An unidentified stain was found on the tile floor next to the couch. All of Susan's things were still there, including her clothes, her purse, her credit cards, her cash, her driver's license, and her keys. And her phone was in the van. And her phone was in the van. During the search, Maxwell subpoenaed the cell phone records of Josh and Susan. Susan's phone had not been used to call anyone since Sunday at 2.29-ish, which was when she called Giovanna and asked her to come over. Josh had called his dad at 12.14 p.m. on Sunday. Then his phone had no activity until 3.02 p.m. on Monday. Remember, he didn't answer for his sister until 5-something on Monday. Okay. Giovanna had called when everyone else was trying to get a hold of him, and he had answered for her at 3.02 p.m. She asked if he knew Susan hadn't gone to work that day. He claimed to just be driving around the West Valley City area with the boys and didn't know anything about Susan. When they hung up, he drove for another 20 miles, then called Susan's cell phone. He left a message asking if she needed a ride home from work. It was like, why? They, her friend literally just told you she wasn't at work. Right. It, police took it as him trying to grasp for straws. Yeah. yeah, he was backpedaling at that point. Yeah. Detectives talked to everyone that knew Susan. They all said she would never leave her kids. They were also told by many of her friends that the marriage was bad and that Susan was talking about divorce. You're going to love this part. Police Chief Buzz Nielsen learned that Josh was the beneficiary of multiple insurance policies on Susan. How much do you think he had out on I'm Susan? I'm guessing in excess of $1 million. Anyone else have a guess? That was my guess. Yeah, like some astronomical well, amount Price is of right money. rules. Price is right rules. Closest <laughs> without going over. <laughs> I'm guessing $999,999, Bob. I'll go for a flat million then. Ooh. Mm. A million and one. (laughs) Shauna is the winner. $1.5 million. Ooh, I won by a dollar. Dang. What does she win? Nothing. Oh, shit. (laughs) High five. That's what you get. (laughs) So... Tell me how $5,000 turns Turned into, into $1.5 million. On December 8th, 2009, Maxwell asked Josh to come back to the station. It took him four hours to show up. Jennifer said he was frantically cleaning the house during this time, and pretty much they had to force him to go. Like he was like manically cleaning. This time, Josh was not 
really answering their questions. And shortly into the conversation, he asked for a lawyer. Of course he did. This would be the last time they were ever able to formally interview him. A big thing they noticed at this time is he didn't ask them about Susan or how the investigation was going at all. He Well, no, because he already knew. During the time they were trying to interview Josh, another detective, a woman detective, was talking to Charlie. He told her that his mom went camping with them, but she didn't come back home with them. Mm, but he's four, so... Yeah, but I think I could still trust a four-year-old well, when he they also said that. S- yeah, but he was also saying other random things is why they couldn't take his... I mean, they couldn't 100% just take his word Yeah, but for that it. still makes it sketchy enough that you could look into that. But four or not. This time, police got a search warrant for the home. They took boxes and boxes of stuff, bags full of stuff, and computers. They were also trying to keep everything from the media. They didn't want this to become a media circus. Well, yeah. But it did anyway. They tried to search the area where he claimed to be camping, but it was so large she could have been anywhere. But they did their best in searching it. But again, it's like blizzard. And it's huge. There was a witness saying they saw him there briefly. Results came back from the floor and the couch. Susan had definitely bled on the couch, but there they had no way to determine when or how much because it had been cleaned. Seven days after Susan's disappearance, Josh told the daycare provider that Charlie and Brayden would not be returning. Then he canceled all of Susan's chiropractor appointments because she had like a regular appointment every month and he canceled those. On December 17th, he withdrew what money he could from her IRA. On December 19th, he drove through the night in another heavy snowstorm with the boys to Puyallup, Washington. Oh, so he went back home to daddy? Yep. He let... Chuck and Judy see the boys for a little bit on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but quickly changed his mind about them seeing Charlie and Brayden anymore. It would be April before he let them see them again, and he only let them see them for an hour in a public park, and they weren't allowed to invite her Susan's sisters or anyone else. It could just be the two of them. And Stephen and his brother Michael were both there. I do not like this dude. No. Police found Susan's last will and testament in her safe deposit box. And also in that letter, she wrote a note to the boys telling them how much she loved them and telling them she would never leave them willingly. Here's the, like, crazy thing. Through all of this, Josh was never named as a suspect. For a brief period of time, he was a person of interest, like, later on. Wait, as in he's not a person of interest anymore? 
Oh, he is now. But I'm saying oh, okay. in the beginning, he, he was never a suspect. He was never publicly named a suspect. But she literally wrote a letter about it with her will. Yeah, I know. But there was like no evidence. The way you look right now is exactly how her friends and family felt. They couldn't understand. Yeah, why. it makes no... He is like the, the obvious option. They pick the spouse. Oh, they every, 100% like every fucking time with like... I'm going to tell you right now, everyone in the world thinks he's guilty. Police included. They just had nothing to prove it. He, it was like he was a suspect, but they never announced it publicly, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Like, they were looking into him. Oh, they were up his ass. 100%. They just never publicly called him a suspect. Later on... He was a person of interest kind of a deal. He never helped in any of the searches for her. Never. He didn't even seem to be concerned about it. Everyone thought he should be arrested. But the Salt Lake City District Attorney refused to file charges against Josh because there was no body. That's crap. And no one could find a body. Like, one tip came in from the husband of a co-worker of Susan, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. He told officers that at a company Christmas party the year before, Josh was talking about where he would hide a body if he ever killed someone because he was obsessed with law and order. He told this dude that he would put their body in one of the thousands of abandoned mine shafts in Utah. And when I say thousands, there's thousands of mine shafts. Jesus. Searching all of those would be extremely dangerous and a monumental task for the police force. Yeah. Josh called the police at one point and told them that he thought Susan ran away with another man, a guy named Stephen Kosher, who disappeared in December of 2009 as well, which I will tell you his story also soon, because he is also still a missing person. Did they even know each other? No. Police found no connection between the two. The he only connection, the only they connection they had was they were both Mormon, and they both and went they missing were both, at the same time. They were both from Utah. They were both Mormon, and they went missing weeks apart from each other. But if you look at their cases, there's obvious reasons why police would not think it was the same. So let's talk about Stephen Powell a little bit more, okay? Stephen wrote poems and songs calling himself Stephen Chantry. He would record himself using this soft, sensual voice. He dreamed of being a famous recording artist. And to the outside world, he posed no threat. But he was very controlling of his children and had no desire for them to ever grow up and be independent. In fact, Josh's brother John and Alina 
never moved out of his house. Michael moved out for four years while he was in the military, came back for a while, left again for college in Minnesota, and obviously Josh didn't move out until he was 26 and married. But I will tell you, all three of these children 100% backed Josh and said he was innocent. Jennifer 100% thought he was guilty. So she was the only sane one. Yeah, pretty much. Now he's obviously right back at Stephen's house. After Susan's disappearance, Stephen told ABC News that Susan was very, very sexual with me. She was very flirtatious. We interacted in a lot of sexual ways because Susan enjoyed doing that, and I enjoyed doing that. I just, I want to, I swear to fucking God. Police searched Stephen's home and found video recordings. Okay, here's a trigger warning. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Sexual stuff bothers you. Skip ahead. I mean, there's no, like, sexual assault, but Stephen was secretly recording Susan's body parts. Individually? Like, there were videos of him, like, zooming in on her body parts. While she was alive? Yes. While she was, like, living there. Yeah, while they lived there. I'm just saying. I know. You never know. I know. He also kept a digital diary, and there were entries, and by, like, he kept a video diary. There were entries of him smelling her panties and expressing his sexual desire for her. Like, he wanted her really bad. There was also floppy disks of other women and young girls in sexually explicit ways in his house, in a safe. So Stephen was arrested in November of 2011 and charged with voyeurism, which I looked that up if no one else knows what it means because I didn't know what it meant. Isn't it like recording people without their knowledge? That, uh, it's it's doing things, it's like... You want to be it's caught not doing things sexually, but... It's not necessarily videotaping. It's literally the definition is the practice of gaining sexual pleasure from watching others when they are naked or engaged in a sexual activity without that person's knowledge. Yeah, you're like... That's you're, creepy as fuck. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like being a peeping Tom. Or whatever. Yeah, it's like a fancy word for being a creep, being yeah. a predator, and watching people uh, like like Psycho, like Norman Bates. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, he was also charged with possession of child pornography. And because of this, Josh lost custody of Charlie and Brayden. Yay. They went to stay with Chuck and Judy, but they w- were more like foster parents. Oh, they didn't let them, like, Mm-mm. keep them? The state had official custody of them. Wow. Josh was given weekly supervised visits until February of 2012, when on the computer that they took from his house, 
in 2009. Because let me just tell you, for somebody who didn't have a job, this motherfucker was computer savvy. And he put all these blocks and codes and shit on his computer that it took them until February of 2012 to decipher the shit. And well, I mean, that's what he was doing while she was right. giving birth to their first right. kid is backing up his laptop. Well, they found cartoon porn on his computer. I mean, it's weird, but it's not illegal and it doesn't really, I don't know. It's Bother not anybody? children, so I'm willing to let that one pass. Well, the uh, ju- the judge was not... He ordered him to undergo a psychosexual evaluation and to take a polygraph test. Well, that's that. I mean, it's not. Did you yank it to cartoons? Is that? I think it's because he has children (laughs) and because of his dad's history. Yes. I think it was a valid ruling. Like, I think given the situation of finding it, I agree 100% with the judge on his decision for that one uh more trigger warnings here people but josh had other plans he would never make it to those court appointed appointed things because on february 5th the social worker in charge of his visits with the boys brought seven-year-old charlie and five-year-old brayden to josh's new home for their scheduled visit the boys ran ahead of her and into the house, when she tried to go inside, Josh blocked her way. He shut and locked the door. She immediately called 911 and tried to get the operator to understand what was happening. She kept telling them that she was a social worker and the parent had locked her out of the house and she was supposed to be supervising the visit. Unfortunately, the operator wasn't taking this as an urgent situation. The social worker then says, I smell gas, and walk to the street, still begging the operator to send someone quick. But it was too late, though. Before officers could arrive, the house exploded. When the fire was finally put out, police investigated the scene, and they said that Josh had killed Charlie and Brayden with a hatchet before setting fire to the house, killing himself in the explosion. The Cox family had lost not only their daughter without a trace, but now they also lost their grandchildren. In June of 2012, Stephen was convicted on the voyeurism charge, and he received two and a half years, but he wasn't charged with the child porn until 2015 because they originally charged him with it then dropped it then when he was about to get out they charged him with it again to keep him in longer yeah so he received another two years which is only four and a half years but somehow he ended up serving seven years total he might have hurt someone in prison Yeah, he did something because he ended up serving seven years and then he died a year later of heart problems so josh's now dead and his father is dead josh's brother michael committed suicide in february of 2013 by jumping from a seven-story parking garage 
at the time, he was involved in a lawsuit against Chuck and Judy for all of the insurance money from Susan and Josh. Because in Josh's will, he left a very tiny percent of it to his brother, John, another very tiny percent of it to his sister, Alina, and then like 97% of it to Michael, which is weird. Police started to become suspicious that Michael was involved in the disappearance of Susan back in 2011 when it was discovered he had his car towed to a salvage yard two weeks after Susan vanished. Police got the car, which was a 1997 Ford Taurus, and conducted forensic testing on it, and a a cadaver dog indicated the presence of human composition in the trunk but the dna that they found all the tests came back inconclusive so there was like no hard dna to prove it police believe that michael helped josh dispose of susan's body and after police went and got the car from the salvage yard michael actually bought a uh, like aerial photograph like what the what the fuck is that shit called the thing the google satellite image yeah satellite image of the um salvage yard to see if the car was still sitting there in a picture so it made himself look even more guilty because why would you buy that to make sure the car hadn't been taken from the salvage salvage yard and some people said that the there was nothing really wrong with the car for it to be right like why do that right the fucked up thing though is out of all of them michael was like super smart like he was going to this college in minnesota to be a doctor he was smart but because of all this bullshit he committed suicide police and mine experts have been searching mine shafts for susan since she went missing and this is why I think this is weird that I started doing this beforehand. But on February 12th of 2022, did, did they, they find her? her? They don't know yet. But crews searching in a mine in the West Desert of Utah for Susan found torn pants that look like women's dress pants and bones. Holy cow. The recovered items have been sent to the Intermountain Forensic Lab in Salt Lake City, and Susan's family and friends are just waiting for the results. So now they're just waiting. And Chuck said that he hopes, well, he said he has this huge feeling that it is her, but he said if it's not, he hopes that they could bring closure to somebody else's family. Right. And people think this is weird because they had searched this mine shaft beef or they tried to before, but it was on fire because it's a mine shaft. Fires can burn for a long time. Oh, yeah. Right. But at the same time, when they searched it the first time, it had a wood, it had wood slabs over the top of it. And when they went back this time, those were gone and there were bones in the bottom with clo- with definitely pants some kind of pants and other like torn up fabric and i th- think it's like three or four bones 
they look human. At first, they got, like, conflicting things from doctors. Like, one said they were animal bones. Another said, no, they're definitely human bones. Just test them anyway. So that's what Chuck is doing is he's having them tested to see if it's finally Susan after all this time and all the thousands of minds that they've searched. Holy crap. I have my thought. I was literally going to say that exact same thing. What a story. Holy hell. I will have to say that I've heard uh I've heard parts of that 911 call to the police from the social worker. Mm-hmm. She really did try. Like don't think that she didn't. She, she did, really did. But I didn't say like the Cox family sued the social services because oh, they yeah. had been trying so hard to get the kids away from him and it didn't happen they actually like it took years and years and years but they finally won the lawsuit but that specific social worker yes if you can listen to that 911 call she online was trying and so hard. she was begging this person this operator to help her i I just wanted to make that clear that's just in that was insane and like yeah that part of it like my heart dropped like i hope it's her whenever the boys ran into the house like you fucker you son of a bitch yeah it was the way it sounded it was almost like he told them to do it like to run past the social worker i don't know all i know is they were little kids coming to see their dad. Yeah, true. They were like, they didn't view him as this bad guy that everyone else in the world did. So to them, they were probably just like, oh my God, it's we get to see our dad today. And it's heartbreaking. I hope they found Susan. Yeah. Me I too. mean, that would be yeah. crazy. Well, me too, because I mean, I've been obsessed with this case forever. Because to me, I'm just like, where the hell is she i mean obviously i know this is speaking of missing persons and to me she's a missing person even though everyone is 100 percent positive she's dead that doesn't matter she's still missing and like the fact that he had the fucking nerve to kill his own children because he's a coward and he knew they were forcing him to take a polygraph test and he knew he was gonna fail it Oh, yeah. Leave your fucking kids out of it, you piece of shit. If you don't want to face up to what you did, you do you. You do you. But your kids could have lived their lives with the Cox family and been perfectly fine. I mean, they might have needed a little bit of therapy, but that's fine. Couldn't we all use a little bit of therapy? You're not wrong. Better help sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) But still, yeah, this case has like been one of those like just kill me cases like forever and i had to tell you guys you were right i have heard that one before but it was my memory of it was real spotty yeah i've also heard it before and i feel bad because i remember what he did to the kids more than i did susan so i'm glad there's been because some... that's like a huge thing that it, he did yeah, to the it, children as soon as you started talking about it i was like yep i know exactly and his dad i remember his dad also yeah i mean the theory is is that number one josh killed her and michael helped him hide the body people are like on the fence of whether steven 
knew about it beforehand because he was so literally obsessed with her. Like he wanted her. He wanted her to leave Josh and be his wife. Which is just fucked up. It's just fucking weird. But he was obsessed with her. And so it's like, I don't, I think he knew where she was after the fact. Like, I'm sure Josh told him. Oh, yeah. But I think he didn't know about it before, like, when it happened. You think that he would have stopped Josh? I don't, I feel like he might have. I don't know. I don't know. I have a hard time with that. Like, Not as know. a good guy, but almost no, no, like no. a, I'll take her off your hands. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. Ugh. Well, I had not heard this one before. And yeah, you're right. It's going to stick with me for a minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah. Well, hopefully we hear some news soon about those bones. And yeah, I know. You... People aren't like coming out and saying whether it'll take weeks or it could take months, depending on how backed up they are. And considering the fact that their main suspect is dead. It's, it's probably like a, not a priority. Right, it's not like a high priority. I bet you it is. I bet well, you they're It might it be because way. it's so famous. Well, as soon as we know anything, as soon as we hear any updates on the case and on the bones, um, we'll let y'all know out there in, in listener land. Definitely. We'll, we'll throw a, a brief update at the beginning of one of our episodes once, uh, once we know the results of that. Yeah, because I've been obsessed with this case for like years so i'll definitely tell you man that was just insanity from start to finish that was nuts so if you liked the story hop on whatever app you're using give us five stars leave a review you can review on spotify now so do that um if you uh want to see pictures of any of this check out our instagram at missing murdered haunted uh, we got a Facebook page, Missing Murdered Haunted Podcast. Check that out. And uh, if you want to just send us a message or you have a case suggestion, send that over to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. Y'all have anything you want to add in? Nope. D- no. No. <laughs> There's I'm just sorry. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. 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 bye.